Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Can you give Jesus your best praise? Come on, he's why we're here. Let's give Jesus praise. Amen, you can have a seat. Go ahead and take your seat. Across all of our locations, go ahead and sit down. Now turn to somebody and tell them you look good today. I'm glad they sat me next to you. Yeah. Now turn to the person you didn't want to talk to and say you're not a bad second option. All right? Somebody's like, oh, it's going to be like that today. Yes, yes. All right. Well, hey, we're so glad to be here with you. And I just want to say this. Let's make sure we give honor right back. Uh, You may not know this. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So I want to take a moment to honor our lead pastor, Pastor Aaron and Katie Berg, the best on the planet. So grateful for them. Uh, grateful for this opportunity. I just want to say this. I'm one of uh, the few lives, the thousands of lives that have been transformed because of their yes to Jesus to plant a life-giving church. And so we're thankful for you and grateful to have this platform. And speaking of our church, we are one church across seven, soon to be eight locations. Come on. And so I want to take a moment to keep that theme of honoring pastors along to honor my fellow location pastors this moment. I want to give a shout out to the OG of the location pastors, Pastor Kenton and Alyssa Martin over in St. Pete, our newest campus at Clearwater led by the incredible Pastor Jose and Nicole Crescibiani. Thankful for you. Up at North Tampa, my good buddy, Pastor Ryan and Kirsten Jennings up there. They do an incredible job at North. The best of the best out in B-Town, Pastor June and Elizabeth Tavares out in Brandon. Love what God's doing out there. Here at South Tampa, you have Pastor Bobby and Joanna Fredier. They've been here for about a month doing an incredible job. Glad you guys are on the team. Hey, our newest location is going to be in West Chase, led by Pastors John and Sarah Bothy. Pastor Sarah also helps with our online experience and does a great job. And I didn't forget about you. The best campus we got over at the Heights location. Nobody here clapped. That's all right. We love you guys. I know you're shouting me down over there, and I'm going to be with you at the 5 p.m. Can't wait to be there live at the 5 preaching. And my wife and I are so honored to lead our Heights location. God's doing incredible things over there. And so speaking of my wife and family, I want to take a moment for you to meet our crew. Maybe you don't know me very well. There they are. Look at that. I am blessed way more than I deserve in Jesus' name. That's my wife of 18 years. She's incredible. She is a game changer. If you've met my wife, you're better because of it. There she is. Look at that. A lot of ladies on that screen, everyone. A lot of estrogen, a lot of drama. That's me. I mean, they got stuff going on too, but that's different. Um, My oldest daughter is Kaylee. She's 17. Uh, The next one there is Abby. She'll be 15 a week from today. Next Sunday, she turns 15. Uh, The blonde there is Zoe. She'll be 13 in November. Eliana is our youngest daughter. She is 11. If you were keeping track, that is soon to be three teens and a tween. You need to pray for your boy quite often uh, when you think of me. Think nice thoughts. And then the little guy at the bottom there, that is Judah Benjamin Blair. His name means son at my right hand who will praise the Lord. And uh, what you may not know about Judah, one, he's a stud. Uh, Two, he is the Heights mascot. Uh, But three, we adopted Judah. Uh, Up in Jacksonville, Florida, my wife and I uh, had the honor of that. We brought him home from the hospital. My wife was in the delivery room when he was born. And uh, I love how Pastor Daniel Floyd said this a few weeks ago. Uh, The real hero of his story is his birth mom. She chose life, and we're grateful for that. Because uh, I want you to know this. My son will always grow up knowing one statement. There has never been a moment in his life he was not a Blair. 
When he was formed in his mother's womb, he was created to be a part of our family. And we're grateful for that. I love adoption because it is the most beautiful picture of God's love for us. We are all adopted sons and daughters of God back into the fold. And so it's a beautiful picture. Thankful for our Fostering Together initiative, all that you guys do to help support that movement. And so we love, love that guy. You may have noticed he doesn't look like all of us. Well, of course, Maddie's adopted. Yes, I get that, but he looks very different because he is multi-ethnic. He is Dominican, he's black, and he's white. And that was something strategically we asked God for. My wife and I have a passion for racial reconciliation. It's not something we wanted to preach from platforms. It's something we wanted to live in our home. And so I believe that you need to know this, that the Bible says that it's every nation, every tribe, every tongue when we get to heaven. So if you get to heaven and think it's going to look like you, you're going to be shocked when you get there. And so we thought, how about we let heaven look like earth right now? And so that's why we brought him into the home. But enough about all of that. Are you ready to hear the word of God say yes? Come on. Well, I'm honored to have this opportunity. I don't take it lightly to stand on a platform and share God's word. It's a very humbling thing, and I'm grateful for it. So when Pastor Aaron reached out to me in the 1st of August, he said, I'd like for you to preach on this Sunday. We're going to be in the middle of our series, Romans, helping find clarity in the midst of chaos. Are you good with that? I was like, are you kidding me? We're digging into God's word. I get to put my Dr. Doug Lay hat on and, like, dig it out and foundation style, right? Dr. Doug was up here. He said, everybody, open up your Bibles right now. We're going to dig into God's word. We're not going to be spoon-feeding you your faith up here. All right, all right. Hold on. Pause real quick. That's the first time he's heard me do that impression. He's in the room. I'm a little nervous. So, uh, no, it's good. It's all good. Lots of fun. We are going to dig into God's word today. So Pastor Aaron said, you'll be week five. I thought, great. He said, I'm going to send you a breakdown of all the weeks. We've been going over these I am statements. So I had these in advance. But then I've been able to sit in the room the last four weeks, and how many of you know our lead pastor has been preaching, preaching, right? And so he's had these shout-down I am statements, right? I am unashamed of the gospel week one, right? Man, I'm done with excuses. Woo! I'm living by faith. We're all Romans 3. Last week, I am made righteous. I mean, we're like shouting him down. You ready? You got those notes? You either got the paper version or it's on the app. Pull those notes out because I'm about to give you the next I am statement. Here it comes. Week five, I am suffering for a purpose. That does not get the same amens the other ones do, right? You don't get the shout downs for that one. Like, great, you got the suffering message. I did. And now I know why Pastor Aaron's not here today. No, I, uh, he gave me that. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, the digital version's great, but I like the paper version better. So why don't you pull out your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5, We're going to go to verse 3, and that's where we're picking up in our study of Romans. And in Romans 5, verse 3, it says this. It says, not only that, not only what? We're going to come back to that. Not only that, we'll come back in a second, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Pause real quick. Paul's like six words into this chapter, and we're like, "Mm -mm, nope, don't like that. Nope. We rejoice in our sufferings. Uh, Are you, did I read that? No, he said it. Now, read the Bible slowly. He didn't say, I rejoice because I'm suffering. I rejoice when I'm suffering. He says, I can rejoice in the middle of it. So how do you get to that? Listen, I've rejoiced a lot of times in my life. I rejoiced on my wedding day, mainly because I knew the wedding night was coming. Come on, somebody. That's a different sermon for a different day. All right. All the men in the room leaned in just then. All right, listen. So I rejoiced at the birth of all five of my children. Some of you may not know this. Three years ago, I had a crazy opportunity. I was on a game show. You can see it on my Instagram if you go back and look. I was a contestant on the $100,000 pyramid, yes. Played with some celebrities, and by God's grace, I was able to win $50,000. How many of y'all know I did some rejoicing in Jesus' name, right? So what I have not done is rejoice in the hardest moments of my life. Like when 
the suffering hits, when the devastation hits, I don't find rejoicing to be my go-to. But today I want us to understand that there's a purpose in, in that time, and Paul goes on to tell us more about it. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance. Some translations say endurance. And perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I think in order to set the stage for where we're going today, we need to all come to an agreement this morning. How many of you know that we serve a God who operates in seasons? He's a seasonal God, right? We have four seasons for weather. Well, not in Florida. We have two and a half. But that's fine. We, we get like spring and summer and like Finter. It's like a weird fall hybrid winter mix. I don't know what that is. But, but, we, but he's operates in the seasons, right? He's a seasonal God. We know this because Ecclesiastes 3.1 actually tells us for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Notice something. That word every, when it's in the scriptures, it's actually translated every. Like everything under heaven has a season to it. So guess what that means? There will actually be times in your life where you will go through a season of suffering. Now, I know we don't like that. We like to read the happy, joyful parts of the, of the Bible, and we like the fun, make-me-feel-good sermons, but can I just encourage you, you have to take the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, all of it in. All of it is, is used for correction and reproof and for teaching and for molding and shaping us. So you're going to go through seasons of suffering. We all understand how seasons work, right? When you don't like a season, you just look forward to the next one. Yeah, right. If you don't like summer, you wait for winter. I don't know why you would, but if you don't like winter, then you wait for summer. A lot of you in this room are big college football fans, I'm sure. Tennessee beat Alabama yesterday, and the nation rejoiced. I don't know, but here's the thing. So from February to August, you can't wait for college football season again. Some of you are excited because lightning hockey season just started again. So we mourn all the months that it's not there, and we get excited. But here's the problem. When I'm in a current season longing for another one, I call that destination thinking. So what happens in that moment is I start to go, when I get there, when I get that job, when I get that spouse, when I make that money, when I can retire, then I'll fill in the blank. And that destination thinking begins to set in because we don't like our current season, so we long for the other one. And can I just challenge you today that when you get so fixed on the destination, you miss what God's doing in your current situation. So he's wanting to use all of it because he's a seasonal God. So he uses all the seasons to work together. My uncle is a farmer in North Carolina. Farmers understand seasons very well because they know there's a season to sow the seeds and plant them, and then there's the season to reap and harvest. We all get that in the, in the church world, too, because Jesus used that same terminology, right? Sowing and reaping. But we forget a very important part of that process. There's a sowing season and a reaping season, but there's a growing season. That's when that seed that gets planted begins to do what it was made to do, develop and grow that product that we will reap. Here's the problem. We like the sowing and reaping because it ha I can have a part in that. We don't like the growing season because that's all God. So we don't like to focus on it because God's doing something. But I want to tell you, he's in the sowing, he's in the reaping, but he's in the growing business. And so he uses all of these seasons like that. But you're going, what could God possibly want to do and have a purpose in a season of suffering? That's cruel. No, it's not. He uses all of it. He works it all. Pastor Daniel a few weeks ago said he works everything for his good. He uses all those seasons. But I think in order to understand the purpose behind it, we have to go back to the first two verses of the chapter. We just picked up in three. Pastor Aaron touched on these last week. Let's go back to verse one. It says this, therefore, 
anytime that word shows up in the Bible, ask yourself, what is it therefore? It's therefore because in Romans 3 and 4, we've learned. Paul talked about, I'm living by faith. I'm justified by my faith. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm in a right standing. So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice, there's that word again, in hope of the glory of God. So he sets it up. So Paul's going, no, no, I'm justified by my faith. I'm the righteousness of God. I understand I'm in a right standing with God. I'm living on faith. So therefore, I have a hope. Notice he bookends the part with it. It starts with hope. This hope he's talking about is he has the hope of glory. We learned that, that there's a, an eternity promised, a redemption with God promised. Pastor Daniel said we'll all be with him in our glorified bodies. I could use that in Jesus' name. I, I'm not a small man, as you can tell. We're testing the limits of the camera guys in the back today. But we're going to be with him. That's the hope that he's talking about. But he goes on to say, because of all of those things, I have the faith justified by it. I'm the righteous. I can also rejoice in Suffering. Notice again, not because of it, in it. Here's something I want to help you understand on the back end of what Pastor Aaron shared last week. I like to say it like this. It's in your notes. Write it down like this. Salvation is instant. Sanctification is a process. So salvation is instant. I give my life to Jesus. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm an adopted son and daughter. Eternity awaits. But sanctification is a process. It's the process of becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. I have to work that out with fear and trembling. That's a process I go through. And you need to hear this. It's in your notes. Part of our sanctification process involves seasons of suffering. It's part of the sanctification process. What do you mean? It's part of how I become more like Jesus. I become more like him even in those seasons. See, we enjoy the mountaintop experiences, but we also learn something in these in the seasons that God didn't cause, but he allows. I think that's really vital we get that again. When Pastor Daniel said that, I, I want you to really hang on to this. Seasons of suffering that God allows, he does not cause. I heard a pastor say it this one time, and, and I think it paints the picture pretty well of God being the one who allows and not causes. Think of it this way. If God caused you to have cancer and gave it to you, why would you ever pray to him to heal you? Because if he gave it to you, he obviously wants you to have it, right? But he allows it for his glory, for his purpose, for him to work something out there. It's an allowing. This is not the big thing I want to teach on, but every time I've shared this from a platform, I think it helps somebody. So I want to do this real quick. I want to take a sidebar for a second. I believe God heals in four ways. Because somebody's battling that in the room today, this idea of healing, or you've lost a loved one and it's hard. Listen to me today. Number one, he heals instantly. We have that in the scriptures, blind see, deaf hear, dead live, lame walk. It's instant. And we always pray and believe God can do it instantly. He also heals gradually. How do we know that? When Jesus made the first mud mask and spit in the dirt and put it on the guy's eyes, he's like, what do you see? He's like, well, it looks like trees are walking around. Let's go again. Oh, it's people. Sometimes that healing is gradual, and I walk that out. Thirdly, He heals medically. I get real nervous when people are like, I have a growth coming out of my neck, but I'm not not going to the doctor. God will take care of that. I'm like, please go to the doctor. They have medicine for that. Like Luke was a physician. Jesus is the great physician. I'm pretty sure he's okay, and he can use all things for his good. So go. 
Now, everybody gets those three and they like them. Number four is he heals eternally. And we don't like that because I can't feel it and I can't touch it and I can't see it and I don't get to experience it here on this side of heaven. But it's a healing. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no disease on the other side of eternity. And so you got to understand he uses all of it. Doesn't cause it. He allows it. He's using it. So I want you to lean in today. You're going, well, Matt, what is the purpose of those seasons of suffering I'm going through? Write down number one. And the good news, I just want to tell you, I didn't have to come up with anything catchy. God's word teaches for itself. So I'm just going to let the word of God teach you. Paul already wrote them out. Here's the number one. The first thing that that season's for is it produces perseverance. He said it. I rejoice in sufferings because it produces perseverance. That word perseverance really means this. It's being persistent despite the difficulties or the delays that we face. So I'm going to be persistent in it. I think the most simple way I could help you understand across all of our locations what perseverance is, is this. It is impossible to produce perseverance unless you've gone through something that required you to persevere through it. Like, hear me on that. I know that seems simple. But in order to produce perseverance, I have to have gone through something that required me to persevere. Here's a misconception, that when I get Jesus, I have everything I need to face everything I'll ever go through in life. No. Like, that's, you need to understand today that perseverance is not a fruit of the Spirit. That's not something that I get immediately. I have to work that out. That's something that is produced to me as I learn to persevere through it. Here's the good news, though. I'm able to do that because I have Jesus in me and with me to help me learn to persevere. Look, King David in Psalm 23:4, one of the most famous psalms written that we all quote. I don't know how it's the most famous. It's just more quoted. They're all famous. The whole word is. But in this one, listen to what he says here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? But read God's word slow. Look what King David says. Even though I walk through the valley. Notice what he's not saying. I don't set up camp in the valley. I'm not living in the valley. The valley's not the destination. I'm getting through it. And how do I get through? I got Jesus, so I'm getting to the other side of this thing. I just came to tell somebody today, if you've been setting camp up in the valley, it's time to lift the tent pegs and walk out. It's time to get to the other side. Don't live there. That's not your final destination. It's something you're going through, not who you are. Get to the other side. My wife and I experienced this firsthand. We were church planters. Many of y'all may not know that. You need to pray for church planters. That is not for the faint of heart. And uh, we planted our church in September of 2014, a year after Radiant. Pastor Aaron was the first pastor I met. We were in the new Tampa, Wesley Chapel area of Tampa. And uh, something we learned really quick is that sheep bite pretty hard. And we went through some really difficult up and down seasons for six and a half years. In the first six to nine months of our church, I was ready to quit. I was like, I didn't sign up for this. It wasn't supposed, we were supposed to have fun, everybody getting saved, joyful moments, and it was hard. And I had a friend say something to me that transformed my life, I actually wrote a sermon on it that actually made me walk in a different way in the rest of those seasons. He made this statement one day to me. He said, hey, Matt, you know what? You win when you don't quit. You win when you don't quit. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Every day that you say, I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not letting the enemy win. You're not going to steal, kill, and destroy me. I'm getting through. Every day you keep pressing. You keep pushing. You win, and you push back hell. You push back the enemy. Go, I'm not giving in. I'm going to win. Win the day. Get through it. Keep pushing. You win when you don't quit. But listen to me. You're going to have to go through some things that make you want to quit so that you can win with Jesus, right? 
I heard a story from Dr. Henry Cloud. He was sharing that in the early 90s, scientists wanted to grow trees in a perfect environment. So it was in a biosphere. So they grew these trees. And what happened was before the tree would fully mature, it would fall over. They're like, all right. They would try again. And before it would fully mature, they would fall over. And this kept happening. It was the perfect conditions. What? I don't understand. And they learned two things. Two things that the biosphere lacked. Wind and stress. Wind and stress. Why? Because the wind produces the stress the tree needs to learn to stand firm on its own in a tough time. And I just came to tell somebody, we live in a culture that wants you to not go through hard. That it's not like... Parents, we're guilty of this. Well, I don't want my kids to suffer, and I don't want my kids to struggle, and every kid gets a ribbon. Every kid doesn't need a ribbon, right? Listen to me. Timmy, you don't get a ribbon because you were eight minutes behind the other kids, right? Well, we should all get a trophy. You don't. Why don't I get a trophy, Dad? Because you're not athletic, and those children are, right? Like, listen, that's not mean-spirited. you got to go through something where the kid goes, oh, yeah? Well, I'm putting the work in. I'm persevering so I can get that trophy and earn it. Like, listen, we got to start doing hard. We got to start going through some hard. I know it's not fun and we wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you got to go through some hard, right? So we got to get that. So it's going to produce perseverance. But here's the second thing Paul told us. It will develop my character. It develops my character. Another misconception is that when I give my life to Jesus, I'm instantly just like him, right? Me and Jesus, we're the same person. No, you're not. I've been around you. I know I'm not like Jesus. My wife can say amen. She probably just did really loud, right? No. It's not an instant change. Remember, the salvation part is instant. The sanctification process I'm working out to become like Jesus. That's why we use the term character development. I have to develop that part of me. One of the definitions for sanctification I love says this. It is the process of becoming more like Christ by purifying our hearts and minds through repentance prayer, and spiritual practices. So guess what that means? You need to get up and have that quiet time. You should be at foundations. You should be in a group. You haven't been in there. You need to start unpacking God's word, getting it for yourself. Have someone disciple you if you don't understand. Walk this thing out and put these things into place so that your character development becomes more like Jesus. I, uh, I told this to the young adults when I preached there a couple months ago. I think this is the main way that you're going to develop character in your life. You have to start living by faith over feelings. Faith over feelings. We live in a culture that wants to tell you that your feelings are most important. If it feels good, do it. If it feels right, it must be right. You do you. Some of you are like, yeah, those are all lies. Your feelings will fail you. Faith does not. Your faith has to be the thing there. Now hear me, I'm not discrediting feelings. You need them. Like if we were going camping together, which is a horrible illustration because I would never do that, by the way. <laughs> Nothing about that sounds enjoyable, just so we're clear. Like somebody's going to come up afterwards, Pastor Matt, you want to go camping? No, no, I don't. But if we were camping, right, and a 600-pound bear was coming at us, I hope your feeling of fear kicks in so you can run. Somebody's going, he doesn't know how to camp. You can't outrun a bear. Listen, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, at that point, I hope the feeling kicks in that I can sprint faster than you, right? I got long legs. It's an advantage, right? I'm getting ahead. Hear me today. Your feelings are a great co-pilot. They just can't take the wheel. 
Like, you got to let faith take the wheel. Like, God, I trust you on this. I believe you. I haven't seen it yet, but you're doing it. You haven't come through yet, but I know it's going to happen. You got to do this with faith. Here's what I think it looks like. We got to remember that Hebrews 11.1 tells us, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. If I can see it, touch it, feel it, hold on to it, it doesn't require much faith. So I've got to have some faith that builds up. I'll, I'll look at it this way. Every day, as a follower of Jesus, I better be depositing faith in the bank. Like, I should be every day making a deposit of faith. Well, God, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I'm depositing faith. Because guess why? I better be doing that nonstop and building up a savings account of faith. Because when I get through this season of suffering, another one's coming, and I will have to make a withdrawal. I will have to make withdrawal, and if I have not been depositing faith, I will be bankrupt when I get there, and I will trust my feelings over my faith. And I just want to tell you today, your feelings will misguide you. Your faith will lead you, right? That, it, like, it better not be because your feelings will say, well, God's not good, and God doesn't love me, and God's against me, and God wants me to suffer, and God wants me to hurt. That's what your feelings will say. Your faith goes, no, no, no. My God is for me. How do I know that? Here's the way you deposit faith. How about you just speak God's word over your life every day and deposit that faith? So you can say things like Jeremiah 29, 11, which is more than a great greeting card when somebody graduates. Why don't you every day go, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So you can say, God, I know you're not against me, Lord. You, you have a plan for my life. You have a purpose for me, and I'm just depositing faith, just depositing faith. You should say Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Say, God, I know you're for me. Nothing's going to come against me. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Deposit faith. Deposit faith. You can say Joshua 1.9. You can say, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid because fear wants to overwhelm. Wants to no, no. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Deposit some faith. So when the next season comes, you can make a withdrawal to say, no, no, I know my God is good. I know my God is for me. I'm building up my character on faith. I'm not trusting and relying on my feelings. I got some faith in a season of suffering that's going to see me get to the other side. And why is that important? Because remember, Philippians 3.10 tells us that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And everyone shouts amen on Easter Sunday. Yes, I'm resurrected with him. And then everybody wants to get the whiteout out for the next part that says, and may share his sufferings. Nope. Mm -mm. Somebody's like, no, I don't like that part. No, I like, the, I like the happy part. Why the sufferings? Because I'm becoming like him in his death. Not sure if you've heard, but Jesus suffered. Suffered for you, suffered for me. And so I actually become very much like him. It's not only on the mountaintops, it's in the valleys where he's doing the work and growing me so I can become like him. I was in the Christian music world for a long time, uh, and I was uh, in college. I had some cool opportunities to open for some bands that most of the rooms never heard of because you're all millennials. And, uh, but, um, no, I led for, I opened up for a band called Caveman's Call, and Caveman's Call was a band that I loved. And they had this song that I even was thinking this week as I was walking and praying about this message. They had this song called Valleys Fill First. And the chorus said, when I'm down in the valley and I'm dying of thirst, my consolation is when you baptize this earth, I'll be down in the valley and the valley fills first. It's not on the mountaintop there. It's in the valley that he reaches me in the season of suffering first to help me climb the mountain. So guess what? It's going to produce some perseverance. It's going to develop my character. 
But then it's also going to be, this is the third one, it increases hope. Notice I didn't say it it gives you hope, it increases it. Because remember, we started the chapter, Paul already has hope. I have hope in the eternity that I'm going to be with God. I have the hope of glory that I'm going to be with him, that that he's going to redeem and renew and sanctify and all of those things. But this is a different kind of hope. Now I have a hope that's building up to go, no, no, my God is for me. He's not against me. Like, I got a hope that God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. I love that one definition of hope is a confident expectation that God will do all that he has promised. I tell our Heights location a lot of Sundays, God will meet you at the level of your expectation. So let your expectation begin to rise that I got a hope. God's got a purpose for me, a plan for me. I might be in a season of suffering, but this is not the final destination. I'm getting to the other side, and hope begins to increase inside of you. Listen, if you hear nothing else today, I hope you get this note. And you take this and you walk away, because I think this is what we have to change our mentality to today. Write this down. It says, I may not be able to control what caused the season of suffering, but I can control how I respond in it. I can control how I respond in it. Remember, Paul said, I've learned to rejoice in suffering. So I can learn how to, and how did he get there? He had some hope that God was good and for him. He had faith that had been built up because he had seen God come through over and over again. So he's like, I'm getting to the other side. I'm persevering through. So I can have some joy in the middle of this because this too shall pass. That's not in the Bible, by the way. People love to quote that. That's not a verse. This too shall pass, all the bad stuff. But it will. We had an old saying, remember, if you're going through hell, just keep moving. Bad theology. You're not going through hell. None of us are going to go through hell on our way to eternity. But when you're going through a tough season, the season of suffering, just keep moving. God's not done. Build it up. I was reminded of a story about a guy. His name was Horatio Spafford. In the late 1800s, he was a well-known businessman in Chicago. He lost most of his wealth and everything he owned in the 1871 fire of Chicago. And shortly around that time, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. And he thought, man, we've we got to get out of this city. We need something to get our family re, kind of refocused. And so he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him to London. He said, I'll catch the boat in a few days, and I'll join you. I've got some business affairs to wrap up, but you guys go ahead, start the vacation. And on the way to London, that boat collided with another ship, and 200 people lost their life, including all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters. His wife made it to London and sent a telegram back that said, survived alone, what shall I do? And in a moment of so much despair and suffering and pain, Horatio Spafford boarded a ship to join his wife in London. And the captain of the ship, knowing Horatio Spafford's story, came down and he slowed the boat and he said, this this is the place where your daughters perished, I just wanted you to know. And in the midst of that kind of pain and suffering, That struggle, he looked over the bow of that ship and where many of us would let feelings take over and go, God, I I can't stand you. I'm so angry with you. How could you allow this to happen? Horatio Spafford looked over the bow of that ship. And in that moment of suffering, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my light, thou hast taught me to 
say it is well it is well with my soul and how can you get to a place where in that kind of moment you say it is well with my soul because you got some hope that Jesus is good you've built some faith up and you're going to persevere and I had to walk this out recently my wife and I had the honor of leading a young woman to Christ her name was Nina Paholke about five and a half years ago Nina sat in a service I was preaching at and gave her life to Christ and my wife began to mentor her we walked with her and we were super sad because she took a job in Walsall Wisconsin as a news anchor and became the morning news anchor and we were cheering her on and we kept up with her and so excited for what God was doing in her life and then on August 27th of this year I got the worst text ever that Nina had taken her life after a battle with mental illness and in that moment I've done a lot of things as a pastor and man I, I genuinely love people like crazy and that one hurt it gutted and I preached her memorial and I actually had that same moment right there in that funeral service and I've walked with her family during this time and I, I reminded myself of something as a pastor there's nothing I can say no prayer I can pray that's instantly going to take the suffering away that family feels nothing but there's the ministry of presence that we have, just showing up, just being with somebody, just walking through a situation with somebody. Look over there in St. Pete in Clearwater, North Tampa, Brandon Heights here online. Somebody in the room, you've been in those seasons. And I feel like God gave me a word for you that are in the rooms today. And it comes straight out of 1 Peter 5, 10. The apostle Peter said this, and the God of all grace, say all grace, all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That's what Paul was talking about. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. And I came to tell someone today across all of our locations, it's been a little while. It's been a little while. But today, maybe you're saying, no, no, no. My little while is up. It's time for God to make me strong, make me firm, make me steadfast. I've been through some things, but I got faith. I got faith that I'm gonna get to the other side. I got some belief that I got a hope in Jesus. I'm gonna persevere. Why don't you stand to your feet across all of our locations? If that's you in the room right now, you say, I'm not staying in the valley any longer. I'm getting to the other side. I wanna be able to declare it is well with my soul. Let today be the day that your little while ends and sing this out from a new place. Go on.
there's one more group in the room. And you're going, I, I can't sing that song because maybe I'm in that season of suffering or it's felt like your life has been one constant season of suffering. And I came to tell you today that the good news is that Jesus didn't just tell you that he loved you. He showed it. A few verses after this chapter in Romans 5 verse 8, it says that God demonstrated his love for us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the only way you're going to make it out of seasons of suffering, the only way you're going to find that hope, build that faith, and be able to persevere is when you place your life in the hands of Jesus and surrender your life to him. So across all of our locations, there in St. Pete, in Clearwater, North Tampa, Brandon, Heights, here at South Tampa, online. If you're here today with every eye closed and every head bowed across all of our locations, this is not a moment for Radiant Church or with me. This is your moment with God. If you're in the room at all of our locations, you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. You need to know that God loves you, but Satan had a plan to destroy you, and it was through sin. But the good news of the gospel is like we just said, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price that we deserve to pay to take care of the debt we could not, not pay off. He died for your sins, but he also resurrected to give you life eternal and life abundant. But he's not forcing you into relationship. He's inviting you. So across all of our locations, if you're in one of our rooms and you're saying, today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender. On the count of three, throw your hand up long enough for us to see it. And you can put it right back down. This is your moment with God. One, two, three. Throw those hands up. Hands all across the room here. I know there are hands all over our locations in St. Pete, Clearwater, North Tampa, Brandon Heights, online. Thank you for your boldness. And right now, we're all going to say a prayer together. We're the family of God. We're not going to single you out. We're going to say it with you. If you raise your hand or you wanted to, this is your moment with God. Just repeat this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my past, my present, and my future. And for the rest of my life, I'm living for you. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I place my hope, my faith, and my trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we celebrate with all those who just made the greatest decision ever across all of our locations? Let's give Jesus some praise. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.